Well, my name is Chris Weens. I'll introduce myself again to you. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share this morning. Uh, we've been part of Creekside now for just about a year, and uh, we're starting to feel more and more like this is home and this is family. And so uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share a little bit of what is, uh, is important to me and what's near and dear to my heart this morning. Uh, Doug invited me up a couple months ago to just share about what, what I do in the organization that I'm a part of. So let me just give you a refresher so you know where, where I'm coming from. Uh, I work with an organization called Multination Missions Foundation, and it's a lot like WEC, but we're, we're a lot smaller. But we work in various countries around the world, and, and our goal is to come alongside and partner with local and indigenous Christian workers who are, who are really making an impact in the world, and just be... Uh, a North American presence and help and resource to them. And so I love what I get to do. We're in a number of different countries, um, but our focus is really trying to be in unreached areas of the world, areas where there's, there's very little Christian presence, and, and we want to come alongside people who are working there in difficult places to, to help them. So that's, that's what we do. And I, I really focus in on northern India. That's one of the areas that that I concentrate on, and so I connect with people that are on the ground there, growing the kingdom and building the church and doing amazing things. And so I actually just got back from India on Tuesday, and so it's only been a few days. I'm still struggling with jet lag, and we actually moved into our house yesterday, so it's been a bit chaotic, and uh, I'm not sleeping that well, so I'll do my best to stay awake and to keep you awake this morning. Let me, um, just by way of introduction, let me just tell you what I was doing last week at this time. I was staying with my friend uh, in northern India, and he was showing me around, showing me the ministries and the churches that he's a part of and that he cares for with his team. And so on Sunday night, I had already been to a number of different churches, and on Sunday night we got in the van, it was dark, and we drove about 45 minutes off of the highway through, you know, uh, dirt roads, we're weaving in and out of small Indian villages, and we got to this place and it was a pretty significant village. It was about 30 kilometers uh, away from the Pakistan border. And I got out of the van with, with, with our team, and it was loud, and there was worship, and there was loudspeakers, and it was pretty amazing. It was dark out. There's no streetlights or anything, but there was like this very uh, tangible presence going on. So I walked inside of the house, and then we, we walked up the stairs. And this is a typical... Uh, Indian village church. At the, at the top, the, the roof is flat, and the church gathers in somebody's home. Uh, most churches there don't have buildings, and they just meet in uh, people's homes. And the top of this roof, it was just jam-packed. You could barely move. There had to be about 300 people worshiping. And it was passionate, lively, prayerful. And I just had to stop as I got on the top of the stairs, and I was just kind of blown away. I was like, this is absolutely incredible to witness and to be a part of. And so uh, their services look substantially different than ours. Uh, they pray and worship for about two hours before somebody even gets up to speak, and then there's about a 30 to 40-minute sermon, and then they all gather to eat together. And so after the worship time, they invited me to come up and share a few words, and um, I did what I could to encourage the church there, and then we had a, an amazing meal and got back in the van, and by this time it was 11 o'clock at night, and we started driving away. And I asked my friend, I'm like, so, and this is the questions that I always ask, because I'm trying to understand what's going on. What's, tell me about this church, how long has it been here, what's its impact in the community, uh, what are you guys doing to reach out here? He told me this church is four years old, 
It's four years old. This church is the first church that was in this village. This village has never had a Christian presence before up until now. Four years ago, one of their pastors went in there and started evangelizing, started going door to door and telling people about Jesus. And slowly, they started finding families that were open to the gospel. And it started with one family meeting in a church and gathering. And in four years, there was 100 families that uh, became Christians who are believers. And so I was in this church, and it's four years old, and there's 300 people there representing about 100 families in this village, and it's been here for four years, first-time Christian presence. And it was absolutely amazing to witness. So they're all brand-new Christians. I was in India last year, and it was my first time, and I remember the first time I was asked to speak, I asked them, I'm like, okay, well, what should I speak on? Like, what's, what's going to be a relevant message? What passage should I read to them? And my friend, my pastor friend, looked at me and said, these guys, they don't read. They're 90% illiterate. And, uh, and I just kind of changed my paradigm, because I'm used to just opening up the scriptures and teaching through it. But when people can't read, it's a bit of a different story. And so uh, it, it's incredible what God is doing uh, in northern India. And the, this was the same story in every church that I went to. The oldest church I saw was five years old. The majority of them, they are first-time Christian presence in, in the villages, and people are just coming, and their lives are being changed, and transformation is happening, and Christian witness is, is spreading. And I count it such a privilege to go and to see this firsthand. I remember being a youth, having a missionary come up and tell stories like this. And I remember sitting in the seats thinking, God, I sure hope one day I get to do that. I hope one day I get to see what you're doing in the front lines. And so I counted a real privilege to be a part of it. I met pastors. These pastors, they don't get paid a whole lot if they're lucky to even get paid at all. I met pastors young. They're all young, like younger than me. I met two pastors. They were like young 20s. They left school. They left work. And between those two and the one guy that we partner with, there's three of them. They look after 15 village churches in their area. Every night, they're going to a different village, and they're, and they're running the church. They're all brand new Christians, and these guys don't get paid anything. And they just do this out of a love for the Lord and a love for missions uh, and just a call on their life because God has called them to do something significant and to just to witness the passion and the commitment of people in northern India was incredible. Let me tell you just a little bit about northern India. It's a place where there is 800 million people, and it's less than 1% Christian. Less than 1% Christian, and yet God is doing amazing things. It's like he's really turning up the heat there. And uh, I mean, the things that I'm seeing, I'm seeing revivals happen. I'm seeing the church growing. I'm seeing the kind of things that you read about in the book of Acts, and sometimes you wonder, why are we not seeing this here? I'm seeing it there. It's amazing. I'm always in contact with my friends throughout the week who are on the ground. And I'll never forget, a couple months ago, my friend, his name is Belbir, he texted me and he said, this week I was a bit discouraged because I, I didn't see anybody come to Christ. And then the next day he sent me a picture and he was baptizing somebody. He says, thank the Lord, somebody's come to Christ this week. Can you imagine having that kind of, of passion to be in a church and, and just pray that every week you'll see somebody new coming to faith. Their passion for evangelism, their passion for sharing the gospel and spreading the good news among people that have never heard, is, uh, it's inspiring and it's, it's incredibly challenging as well, uh, just to reflect on my own faith and my own passion. 
So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about God's heart for the nations. And this is just a message about global missions in general. And, and then I want to offer some ways in which we can respond. And so to start, I just want to lay down a biblical framework for why this should matter to us. This isn't just a topic that should be important to a missions guy. This is a topic that if you were a follower of Jesus, this should matter to you because we see this all over the scriptures that God has a heart for the nations and he invites us to participate in this mission. He invites us to be a part of spreading the gospel to places where the gospel has never been heard before. And so if you have your Bibles, the passage that's going to guide us this morning is taken from the book of Psalms. And you might wonder, well, you're talking about global missions. Why wouldn't you go to some famous passages? Passages that would probably immediately come to your mind would be Matthew 28. Jesus' last words to his disciples, right? He is, he's standing there in front of his disciples and he says, go and make disciples of all nations. It's, it's what we would call the Great Commission verse. What he has really called the disciples and consequently what he's called us to do to go and make disciples of all nations. Or you might think of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Again, Jesus has come back. And, and as he's going up into heaven, he says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I want you to bear witness to who I am. I want you to grow the church. I want you to spread the good news. And then, of course, there's this great passage in the book of Revelations. It's a picture of what the end is going to look like. And this is the vision that John had. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. What a great picture of what the end is going to look like, that all peoples and all languages and all nations will know and will have heard the good news. These are great passages that highlight God's heart for the nations, but uh, we often don't hear about the passages in the Old Testament that highlight God's heart for the nations. So I want to read one this morning and let this just lay a foundation for why this matters. So Psalm chapter 67. That's what it reads. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that the ends of the earth will fear him. It's an amazing psalm. Immediately, as you read verse 1, you're going to recognize this psalm as a benediction. Many churches pray this benediction over their people as they leave. May God bless you. May God shine his face upon you. May God give you his peace and his favor. And this benediction, we get this out of Numbers chapter 6. And God actually tells Aaron to pray this blessing over the Hebrew people. He says, I, I want my people to hear this blessing that, that I'm a God that is for them, that I'm a God that wants to bless them, that I'm a God that wants uh, my face to shine upon them. So in verse 1, there's just this amazing truth that rings all throughout the scriptures that God wants us to know him. This picture of God shining his face on us, it's a picture of intimacy. Obviously, God is, doesn't actually physically show us his face, but he speaks in this language because he's trying to say, this is what I want between me and my people. It's a kind of relationship that where we know each other, where there's, a, where there's an intimate connection. Pray this over the people that they would know me because I really want to know them and I want to bless them. 
and I want to be gracious to them, and I want to give them my favor. See, this, this passage, this verse 1, it's an amazing and powerful truth that will change our perspective on life if we truly believe it. God is for us. He wants us to live under his blessings. He wants to shine his face on us so that we would know him well. But then there's verse 2. And oftentimes we end at verse 1 and we say, this is great. I get to walk closely with God and he wants to bless me and let, let's go. But there's verse 2. And I want you to notice what comes next. And there's two words, and I'm a bit of a youth guy, so I would tell my youth, you know, you need to highlight and circle and underline these two words. It is these words, so that. And, this is, and then it leads into what I think is the key section of the psalm. So that. God blesses us and makes himself known to us so that through us the nations are blessed. We are to be blessed by God so that salvation will extend to the nations. God extends his blessings to us. He wants us to know him. And then through us, the nations are to be drawn to God. The nations are to be drawn into this great salvation that we experience. You could say that we have been blessed in order to be a blessing. Let me point out a few obvious implications of this transition between verse 1 and verse 2. The psalmist is not saying, bless me so that I can be super comfortable all the time. The psalmist is not saying, bless me, so I don't have to work hard and I have lots of money. The psalmist is not saying, bless me, so that I will be happy and content and my life will be very easy. The psalmist is not saying, bless me, so that everyone can look at my life and be envious of my success. It's not what the psalmist says. The psalmist understands that with the blessings of God's favor comes a responsibility. We have a responsibility if we fall under God's blessings. May God's blessings on us be turned into salvation for those around us and the nations around us. And then the rest of this psalm, the next five verses, then describe what the outcome of this blessing is. We see this picture of peoples praising God. We see this picture of the nations uh, being drawn to God in worship. And then the psalm ends in verse 7, the same way that it began. There's a picture of salvation that extends to the ends of the earth because and due to God's blessings on his people. Verse 1, or verse 2 and verse 7 are very similar. You see, the psalmist, he understands God's heart for the nations. God's never just been a God of one people group or one culture or one country. God is a God who has a heart for all people, for all cultures, for all societies. God is reaching out to, to, to everybody. And so this truth, we actually see, it's a foundational truth right from the very beginning. God, there's a really critical passage in Genesis chapter 12. God calls one man, his name is Abram, and he calls this man, he says, out of you I'm going to call out a people, and out of these people I'm going to pour out my blessings on you and these people. This is the Israelites, but the reason I'm doing this is so that you will bless the nations around you. And so I want to look at this call so that we see how this pattern has been the same throughout Scripture. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord says to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, even in the Old Testament, right from the beginning, God chose, chooses one man to build a nation. But out of that nation... The rest of the world is to come and to see who God is. And the sad story and the sad history of the Israelites is that most of the time they kind of forgot who they were called to be. 
which is why both the northern and the southern tribes end up going into exile because God says, and you see this all throughout the prophets, God says, you have forgotten your call. You have forgotten the whole point of me blessing you is so that the nations will look at you and be drawn to me because God blesses so that we will be a blessing. This, this theme rings throughout all of the scriptures. I think it's really well encompassed in this passage uh, in Isaiah 49.6. I will give you Israel as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And if you're a student of the Bible, you will see this theme over and over and over again. It's not just a New Testament theme. It's an Old Testament theme as well. That God has a heart for the nations. God has a heart for all peoples. And he chooses his people to spread the good news. He chooses his people to be the resource in which he uses to, to grow his church and, and to spread the good word of who he is. It's always been on God's agenda to reach the nations. And I think it's a real shame when God's people miss this point. And we read verse 1 and we get really happy about God blessing us. But then we kind of forget about the rest of the psalm and we forget about why God has blessed us. What has God blessed us for? It's not just for our own personal benefits or our own personal happiness. It's so that we extend these blessings to our neighbors and to our city and to our country and to the nations beyond. And so I want to come back to, to, to Psalm 67 here. Two really obvious truths to point out. The first truth is that God wants to make himself known to us. He wants to make himself known to us. He wants to shower us with his blessings. This is the God that we know and worship. This is the God who reveals himself to us in scriptures. He comes down to us and he says, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to know me and I want you to fall underneath my blessings. But then the second truth, the so that passage, is that God blesses us for the sake of the nations. God blesses us so that we can extend those blessings to those around us. I think there's an implicit truth in this passage that God will most likely bless us when we share in his heart for the nations. That's what John Piper says. Most of you will know who John Piper is. If God blesses his people for the sake of the nations, then God is most likely to bless us when we are planning and longing and praying to bless the nations. And I, I, think, it's, I, th I think it's a true statement, and I think we see that in this song. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Okay, so you might be wondering, okay, so, so I get this, but don't we live in an era where most people have heard the good news? I remember being a student, uh, high school student, sitting in a sermon like this thinking, well, there's all these great missionaries and there's all these great things happening around the world. The job must be getting really close to being done. There's a lot of work happening out there. I'm sure by the time I hit a place where I can actually contribute that uh, there's not going to be anything left for me to do. So let's look at this. I want to show you some statistics and just show you where we're at in the world. So this is taken from... This is taken from Joshua Project. This is a really credible uh, research-based uh, study that was, that was done. It's, it's right up to date, 2015. This is where we're at in the world. 42.7% um, are established or significant and what, uh, evangelical believers. That's what it says. Um, established or significant number of professing evangelicals exist. So 42.7% of the world. Then we got 17%. That's the green part there. Uh, definition here is formative or nominal um, of professing Christian evangelicals exist. And then here's the number that I found shocking when I ran into this, is 40.3% of the world is still unreached. 
And this is how they define an unreached person. There's no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize their own people. That means that there is little to no Christian presence in that people group uh, who are able to spread the good news to their people. 40.3%. That was way higher than I ever thought uh, it was before I ran into this. Let me show you some numbers, what this actually works out to uh, numerically. I hope you can see this. So, uh, by country here, all people groups, the first line there, by country, there's 7,280,000,000 people in the world. That represents 16,000 uh, or so people groups. And you go down to the next um, line there, unreached people groups by country, 3 billion people. That's the number. 3 billion, 67 million people are, fall into the unreached category. That represents 6,571 people groups. And then the next slide over there, that's where we get the percentages of 42.1% of the people are still unreached. And then Jordan already referred to this. This is the 1040 window, and there's a map up there. This is where the majority of the unreached people groups actually live. This 1040 window represents northern Africa, the Middle East, and then kind of spreads over throughout Asia there. 4.83 billion people live in the 1040 window. 2.97 billion of them are unreached. That means that more than half the world lives in this area, and more than half of this area represents unreached people groups. So the percentage of unreached in this 1040 window are 63.5%. Did you know that the majority of missionaries, Western missionaries, do missions in South America, Central America, and South Africa, the southern part of Africa? There are very few missionaries actually working in the 1040 window. So I'm very encouraged that Jordan is willing to go to a place like this, because this is where the church is not yet established. This is where people have not yet heard. So I don't know if this surprises you or not, but it certainly did for me when I started looking into it. I thought we were uh, much further along the way to spreading the good news and having the nations at least have a chance to hear the gospel. But those numbers, I, I think, are, are shocking. A couple more stats I want to throw at you here. So uh, 2,630 people groups totaling 195 million individuals don't have scripture or the Jesus film or Christian recordings available in their primary language. I had a guy come down from northern India. He took an 11-hour bus ride to come and meet me for breakfast, uh, me and the guys that I was hanging out with. And I was just talking to him about his ministry. And he's translating the Bible from his language. He's translating the Bible into his own language. And I asked him why he's doing that. He says, because it hasn't been done yet. This guy's translating the Bible into his native tongue, and it's not been done yet. I asked him, how many people speak your native tongue? And he said, 250,000 people. So I think the f we take for granted here in North America that we even have the Bible to read. It's hard to encourage people to read their Bible, and yet in parts of the world, people don't even have, they, they don't even have the ability to read it because it hasn't been translated yet. Some 65 to 70% of the world's population live in religiously restrictive countries. This is where it's hard to be a Christian. I was meeting with, with, one of my, with one of my friends down there in northern India, and the day before I got there, his church member, uh, a mob, came to his house because he was a Christian and beat him up, just because he was a Christian. This is the kind of persecution that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing. And it's hard for us to understand that because we live in such uh, 
an easy and, and country that gives us so much freedom. But this is happening. And so as my friend is kind of touring me around, he's on the phone every couple hours coaching the person that goes to his church that's been beat up. And these guys are threatening his life, and he's saying, you need to stand strong, you need to be courageous. And I was just thinking, I can't imagine something like this happening in my own country. And how would we respond if an angry mob showed up at our house because we're believers in Christ? How would we respond? But this is, this is what so many uh, of our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through. Do you know that they're saying the next few years, Christianity is going to be entirely wiped out in Iraq and Syria? And these are some of the longest church communities uh, that have existed. And they are being systematically wiped out as we speak. India. This is why I have such a heart for India. India has 2,027 of the least reached people groups. Number two is China, and it's a lot less, 456, and then Pakistan. 2,000 people groups that have not heard the gospel. And I saw that. I went into villages where, again, there is no church presence except for the people that have moved, into, moved in there three or four years ago and started something up. I was walking with my, one of my friends down the road, and we were just going for a walk in the morning, trying to stretch our legs. And somebody just started walking with us. And my friend's such an evangelist. He says, what's your name? The guy said, my name means light. And so my, my Indian friend, he's such an evangelist, he just starts telling him about Jesus and that Jesus is the light. He said it, and the guy's like, I've never heard that name before. Never heard the name Jesus. See, in Canada, you're probably not going to run into that. We might not have a lot of Christians here, but... Just about everybody has at least heard the story and has a chance to know who Jesus is. But the reality is, in so much of the world still, this isn't the case. And people have literally not heard the gospel message. They don't know who Jesus is. And so we have a responsibility. Again, I thought we were well on our way to, to the nation's knowing. And I think, I think what we see here is that this certainly isn't the case. And so if we take seriously the passages that we just read about that this picture of all peoples and all nations knowing God and falling down in worship of Him. And if we take seriously the fact that God is a God on mission and He invites us to be part of that mission, in fact, He actually calls us to be part of that mission, if we take this seriously, I think we should be challenged and inspired uh, to be more mission-minded, to, to be people that have a heart for the nations. My daughter, Zoe, She's eight years old. She's, she's always asking me uh, crazy intuitive questions. And she said, Dad, if, uh, if the world's so broken, why doesn't Jesus just come back? Why doesn't he just come back and end it all? That was a great question. So I had to stop and think about it for a little while because I wanted to give her a good answer, and I wanted to formulate what, what my answer would be anyways. And I think the answer is this. I think the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because the nations don't know yet. If you think of that passage in Revelations where all peoples and nations and tribes and languages know, or at least are represented in heaven, then we have a long ways to go before Jesus is going to come back because this is the mission that he's on. What is the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations. And we're still 40% uh, people in the world that, that aren't there yet. And so we've got our work cut out for us. And so to end this morning, I just want to offer a few suggestions on how we can be people who, who share in God's heart for the nations. This is certainly not an exhaustive list, but I think these are some things that we might be able to walk away with here this morning. First of all, and by far most importantly, is we need to pray. The scriptures tell us to pray for the church. The scriptures tell us to pray for the saints. The scriptures tell us that we should pray for those who are persecuted. And so we need to pray. 
What is the Lord's Prayer? What's the second stanza of the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be praying every day that God's kingdom will break in. I pray, as, as we're new to Lake Country here, I get up in the morning and I pray that God's kingdom will break into Lake Country. That we here at Creekside will be kingdom-minded people. And I pray that God's kingdom will come in the world, especially in places where it's, like northern India where it's unreached. We need to pray. One of my friends, Belbir, again, he said to me, he said, uh, more prayer, more power. Less prayer, less power. And these guys pray. When I was staying at their house, they get up every morning and they have an hour and a half prayer time as a church. Worship and prayer, hour and a half, every single day. And it's no wonder we're seeing revival in northern India because they have such a heart for God and for, for the lost people and they have a heart for prayer. And so I want to encourage us this morning. I certainly come back from a trip like this once again inspired that I need to be a man of prayer way more. I need to pray that God... God's kingdom breaks in where I live right here and throughout the nations. Number two is go. And I, we're, we, we see that model to us in Jordan. If you have an opportunity to go on a trip, I would encourage you to do it. Go and get your uh, perspectives uh, changed or just broaden your horizons. And maybe it's not a missions trip. Maybe it's a vision trip. I led a trip w with my last church a couple years ago, and we didn't even call it a missions trip. We called it a vision trip. And it was an opportunity to just go and see how other believers lived and what the church was like there. And a lot of people, uh, a couple of the people that came on the trip with me, they said, I'm so grateful I didn't go to Mexico this year. I didn't take a holiday. Instead, I used my holiday time to go do this because it's really changed my own perspectives on life and on what matters. And so I would encourage you, go. There's lots of opportunities out there. And if there's enough people here at Creekside, I'd be more than happy to, to drag some of you along with me because I'm always going to these different countries. So uh, I think it's a really great opportunity to go and see what God's doing around the world. And then thirdly, I want to encourage us, we need to give. I think the simple reality uh, here in the North American church is that God has blessed us financially. The scriptures teach us that, you know, to whom much has been given, much is expected. And I think we have a responsibility to support national work. We have a re responsibility to support what's going on locally. We can't forget about this because this is a mission field as well. But we need to support what's happening on a national uh, level in the nations. Um, so give what you can towards global missions. Here's how I would suggest you do it. Find an organization that you trust, that, that you can be connected with, and, and you get behind their ministries. Find something you're passionate about. If it's an orphanage, support an orphanage. If it's supporting children, you know, Compassion Canada or World Vision or, or other ministries like that. If it's supporting local national pastors who are doing a really good work, uh, I'd love to sit down and talk with you about that. There's other great ministries uh, doing these kinds of things. So get to know an organization that you trust, that you can support. Um, so giving. Our money goes so far. You know the pastors that we, that we support in northern India, they get paid between 200 and 400 dollars a month. That's their salary. They live full-time on that, and they live pretty comfortably. And so our money goes a long ways. And so I think we have a responsibility to give. One of the things that God has blessed us in North America with is financial blessings, and we have a responsibility. I would also encourage businesses, and I've heard of a few businesses that do this. They set aside a, a set portion of their profits, and they donate it to global initiatives. Imagine what that says to your coworkers and and, and to the people that are working with you, when you say, you know, a portion of what we're making, a portion of our profits, we're going to support an orphanage, or we're supporting a, a local worker somewhere. 
Imagine the, the, the mission opportunity you have right here in your own backyard to talk to people about this when you're, when you're giving, and it really shows where your priorities are and where your heart is. And fourthly, and I always want to mention this, is I think it's important that we're modeling a heart for the nations to our kids. So whether you're a grandparent or your parent, you know, my goal, Laura and my goal, is to raise our kids with a healthy understanding of what God is doing around the world. So we talk about Syrian refugees. You know, I talk about the 10 Egyptians that were beheaded a year ago, or actually it was less than a year ago on the, on the beach, because I want them to know what's going on in the world. I want them to be aware. I want them to learn how to pray. I don't want them to grow up in a nice little sheltered home where they think being a Christian is about being comfortable and safe all the time. We need to educate our kids about what, what's really going on in the world and how they can contribute. I want my kids to grow up with a global kingdom perspective. And so I think we have a responsibility to talk about these things with, with our next generation and raise them up with a heart for God's kingdom. We need to impress on them uh, what matters to us and what matters to God. And I think we've seen through the scriptures, and you can't get very far without reading your Bible and seeing that God has a heart for all people. God has a heart for all nations. And God actually calls us to be a part of that mission. He calls us to participate with them. He calls us to be actively engaged with what he's doing around the world. And so, I've said a lot this morning. I think how I want to end is I just want to end with this benediction of Psalm 67. Verse 1 and 2. May God be gracious to you and bless you. May God make his face shine upon you so that his ways will be known in the earth, so that his son among the nations. Amen? Thanks for letting me share this morning.